Word on Fire is brought to you by Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Chicago area since 1837. This is Cardinal Francis George, and I invite you to join me for the next few minutes to reflect with Father Robert Barron on the Word of God, which is the Word on Fire. Father Barron will challenge us to open our hearts to the Word on Fire, which is God's Word of love for each of us. If our hearts are open, the Lord can change and transform us so that we might speak with love about the one who is love. The Archdiocese of Chicago, through the generosity of Sacred Heart Parish in Winnetka, now presents The Word on Fire. Peace be with you. Friends, I'd like today to continue our reading of Paul's magnificent letter to the Romans. I mentioned to you, I think, last week that we'll be reading it for the next several months at Mass. And it's the most important letter Paul wrote one of the clearest presentations of the Christian faith. I might encourage you to sit down and and read through the letter to the Romans in its entirety. It might help you to take it in as you hear it at Mass. As I said to you before, St. Paul was Rabbi Shaul, Rabbi Saul, student of the great teacher Gamaliel, immersed in the thought world of the Hebrew Scriptures. Well, when the risen Jesus appeared to him, he was initially flabbergasted, blinded, disoriented, because the very one he'd been persecuting was now revealed as the Lord. It says that Paul went off for three years to Arabia. Extraordinary thing, isn't it? Three years it took him to take all this in. You see, as time wore on, Shaul, now Paul, sought to understand Jesus against the background of that great story of Israel that he knew so well. As time went on, it's as though the picture of Jesus became clearer to him. He understood Jesus in light of the tradition and the tradition more clearly in light of Jesus. In a word, Paul saw Christ as the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel, the capstone of the building of Israel, the climactic chapter to the great story of the Jews. And it was in Romans especially that he laid out this integrated understanding of who Jesus Christ is. You know, we saw last week from Romans how Paul related Jesus to Abraham, the father in faith. In other letters, he compares him to Moses and David as well. But in the passage for today, from the fifth chapter of Romans, he relates him to Adam. Christ is the new Adam, the second Adam. And it's this juxtaposition, I think, that is especially illuminating for Paul and for us. So what I want to do in this homily is to pull out some of these implications. What does it mean to say Jesus is the new Adam? Well, let's go back to those opening chapters of the book of Genesis. We hear that Adam was God's friend. Adam walked with Yahweh in the cool of the evening in easy fellowship. Adam's mind and will were 
effortlessly attuned to God's mind and will. The way friends are naturally attuned to each other. Aristotle, the great philosopher, said that a friend is a kind of second self. He's a mirror to the person who befriends him. Well, Adam, we hear, was made in the image and likeness of God. A kind of mirror. God's second self. God's friend, if you will. And this friendship delighted God. Not because he needed it, but because we become, Adam became, more alive in it. Because of this, Adam was also a priest. That is to say, someone who gave God right praise. I think I've shared with you before the etymology of the word adoration. Ad oratio. It means to the mouth of. Ad ora. Adam adores Yahweh because he's aligned to him. Ordered to him in friendship. Breathing in the divine life. And because of this ordering, Adam's inner life was properly ordered. Hence, the Garden of Eden, where Adam lived, was seen by the rabbis as a prototype of the temple. What was the temple but the place of perfect praise? The place where the divine human friendship was restored. And so, retrojecting this idea, they saw the Garden of Eden as the first temple. More to it, Adam, before the fall, was a scientist and a philosopher. We hear that he named the animals they came before him. The Greek fathers saw this. He was literally cataloging them. Katalogon in the Greek means according to the word. What was Adam doing? He was naming the animals according to the order that God had given them. His mind was attuned to the intelligence of God. Adam was, here's what I'm driving at, in the richest sense, human. His mind, his will, his body, his passions, his powers, enlivened by their contact with God. Now, what happened on the biblical reading? This friendship was interrupted. We call it the fall. The loss of intimacy with God. When Adam grasps at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he says, I will make myself into God, I won't be God's friend anymore, but I will supplant God. I won't listen. I won't attend I won't be mouth-to-mouth -mouth with God. Rather, I will become God, the center of the universe. See, and friends, all of us descendants of Adam suffer from this same problem. Well, when that divine friendship was interrupted, everything that went with it was interrupted. Adam lost his priesthood. He lost this attitude of praise, of right worship. He was expelled from the Garden of Eden. Don't read that as God's arbitrary punishment. Read it as a kind of natural concomitant of sin. 
When you stop praising God, when you exit the divine intimacy, well then you're expelled by your own act from this temple, the place of right praise. Adam loses his capacity as a scientist and philosopher. He doesn't see the world aright, cataloging it according to God's logos and God's mind. The fall, the calamity, the problem in which all of us descendants of Adam share. Now, what did young Rabbi Shaul take in when he sat at the feet of Gamaliel and studied the Hebrew Scriptures? He took in this great insight. All of biblical history. The patriarchs, the prophets, the wisdom figures, all the great heroes and kings of Israel. That story is the story of God's attempt to restore the divine friendship. We hear that Yahweh called forth Abraham. Abraham listened. Not like Adam, who seized at godliness. Abraham listened, followed the promptings of the Lord. And from Abraham's faith came this new people, Israel. Through this people, God would attempt to restore friendship with the whole human race. He sent Moses to give the people, Israel, a law. Not to oppress them, but to make them free. A law that would remind them of God's own will and God's own mind. That the friendship that Adam had might be restored. When the people strayed, as they always did, he sent prophet after prophet to remind them of God's way. More to it, he inspired David and Solomon to build the temple. And in that temple, for a thousand years, sacrifice was offered. Right praise was inculcated in the people. In all these ways, Yahweh was restoring divine human friendship. Ah, but they knew, the patriarchs, the prophets, the writers of the Psalms and the wisdom literature, they knew that despite all these efforts, somehow this friendship was not perfect. It was not fully restored. And so they dreamed. They hoped for a Mashiach, for an anointed one, a Messiah, who would fully restore the lost friendship, who would restore right praise, who would teach the people to walk in the ways of Yahweh. So, when Rabbi Shaul, Paul, took in the experience of seeing the risen Jesus, he concluded that this was the Mashiach of Israel. This was the fulfillment of all the hopes of the Jews. This Christ, this anointed one, Christos is simply Paul's Greek version of, of Mashiach, this anointed one is the one in whom the dreams of Israel were fulfilled. And that's why he called him the new Adam or the second Adam because he was the recreation of the human race. What did Paul see? That Jesus was in his own person the divine human friendship. 
Jesus was, listen, in his person, the Torah, the law given to Moses. That's why, as I've mentioned, Matthew portrays the Sermon on the Mount as Christ the new Moses. He's not just giving a new law, he is the new law. Jesus was in his own person, the prophetic word. He's not one more prophet speaking God's word. He is God's word made flesh. Jesus in his person was right praise. He was the temple. That's why he says to the people, you've got a greater than the temple here, referring to himself. That's why he says in reference to the old temple, I will tear down this place and in three days rebuild it. Speaking of the temple of his own body. Do you see now what Paul saw? In his own person, Jesus summed up, recapitulated, brought to fulfillment the entire history of Israel. Beginning with Adam. What was the key difference between the old and new Adam? Look at Paul's letter to the Philippians for a moment. Chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not deem equality with God a thing to be grasped at. Ah, the old Adam, who also was in the likeness of God, did deem equality with God a thing to be grasped at. What a beautiful irony that God himself, having become man in Christ, undid through his own humility what Adam had done through his pride. Christ, the new Adam, the fulfillment of Israel, the recreation of the human race. That's what Paul saw. That's what Paul wants us to see today. And God bless you. I hope that you were moved today by the word on fire. I pray that together we might become a people on fire with love for God and neighbor here in Chicago and wherever these words are heard. Until we join Father Barron again next week, I'm Cardinal Francis George. God bless you.